is cutting to the matrix on November the 5th, 2010. Now, I always suggest, I get it over at the beginning, that newcomers should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and bookmark the other sites. So see you listed there. These are the official sites. They all carry the same audios and um, they all carry transcripts in, in English of a lot of the talks I've given too for print up. And if you want print shops in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentinel dot EU. And if you find sticking on the com site, it's because too many folk go in at the same time, according to the big server anyway. Uh, that's their excuse. Uh, so try these alternate sites if you find sticking on download, and hopefully you'll get a clean, uh, quick download. And remember too, the year the audience will bring me to you. I could be paid by advertisers. I have the offers, but I don't take them because then it's kind of compromise. You're, 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 you can't say what you want to say sometimes if someone's paying your, paying your bread money. So it's okay if uh, others do, other, other hosts do that. That's fine. That's their living. That's their bread and butter. But for me, this is not a business. It's a necessity. And therefore, I've got a free hand to do what I want. So you must help me with mine. The ads you hear on this show are paid by, by advertisers to RBN. Then that gets the airtime up there. That pays for that, that pays for the broadcast and their staff and their equipment and their bills. So help me out with mine. I buy the books and the discs and so on I have for sale at cuttingthroughmedics.com. And they're different from the other books you'll ever read in your lives. I don't bother giving you long, boring, detailed stories of repetition that's been copied from many, many books before. Because that's all historians do. It's his story. And he'll warp it a little bit each way according to which parliament or our government is in charge of things. They keep changing it anyway. Even while we live, it's always getting changed. So I show you a different technique of how the control is down through the ages from ancient times to the present. And I show you some of the coding they've used as well. And still do use on you all the time. A lot of the tricks they use on, on you via the media. So buy the books and that will keep me going. From the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase them with a personal check. You can use an international postal money order from your post office. You can um, use PayPal to order or donate. If you want to order, send a separate email after your PayPal donation with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. You have the, the PayPal for ordering or donating. And don't forget, too, I do appreciate donations, regardless of how small they are. And you can also use across the rest of the world Western Union, which is kind of hefty for their fee that they charge. MoneyGram is cheaper, and it's even cheaper still if you just get the MoneyGram check made out in Canadian dollars and, and post it. It'll take a few days to get here, but it's a lot cheaper than any of them. And some people just send cash. It's up, up to you how you want to do it. But hopefully that will keep me going because it's a big expense here. And this is not a job. It's a full-time. I, I, I can't call it anything. It's not a career. It's a full-time necessity, really, and it takes its toll, believe you me, because it's not a, a day where you can take a day off for rest. It doesn't happen that way. You're in the middle of the most 
amazing takedown of the world that we've ever seen. Uh, it was planned by the same people who brought in communism for the worldwide revolution, and uh, the organization behind it, the financing behind it is incredible, with the massive think tanks, foundations all across the world, and they've successfully basically corralled every country into it, and most folk don't even know it yet. But they're going to, they're going, when, when the food rationing comes in and the UN gets on its real high horse, as it was intended to do, that big communist organization, uh, believe you me, there'll be no um, complaints department at uh, that particular organization when you're hungry and they have no mercy whatsoever, exactly like the communist system, because it is the communist system. Back with more after this break. and we're cutting through the matrix. No, I wasn't kidding at the beginning of the show when I said it's the same bunch with the same agenda and the goal is a whole world. They pretty well accomplished it actually through oh, 50 years of treaties at the United Nations and charters being signed, which I believe they eventually turn into treaties and agreements again, which are binding as they call it. And they've tied the whole world together for the great society. Sometimes you call it the big society, sometimes the great society. And it's to do with total control in a socialized fashion over every individual who is born and lives on the planet from birth to death. That's what it is. And the big greeny departments and the, the conservation departments and so on, they're all part of the eugenics depopulation agenda under the United Nations. That's the purpose of it, actually. And the UN uses the same communist tactics, tactics. naturally they will, because it's all communists who went into it. In fact, it's communists who drafted up the charter for the United Nations, helped by some Canadian communists too, along with Alger Hiss. And they wanted a world where they would distribute the food across the world. And if you go into the Council on Foreign Relations website or the Chatham House for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, you can look on their own sites. You'll see them. They've been working on the coming food shortages for the last 15, 16 years now. But you see, that's part of the agenda. You see, when this whole system comes in, and it's coming in all the time through different phases over your fuel bills and so on, carbon taxes, etc., they always do a massive purge. When the Russians came in, they killed off all the small farmers. They slaughtered them all. And they lied, of course, to begin with. They even told many folk to go off into the country and after the revolution, and they'd give them land and so on. They started planting stuff and so on. And then they took it all from them and left them to starve. Same in the Ukraine. And when they're doing that, they're exporting Ukraine's grain across the world and watching them starve to death. Incredible documentaries, video shots of that stuff. And you think it was bad at Belson and so on. It was nothing compared to the Ukraine, believe you me. Deliberate killing off of a people. And the same thing happened in other countries too, where the communists took over. Same tactics, always slaughter the people who have the small farms, then the state is in control of the farms. In this upgraded uh, amalgamation that came out at the Rees Commission, remember back in the 50s, where they were told that Soviet system would be blended with the Western system, very seamlessly and integrated, well, that's called public-private. And that's why your governments now are all-powerful 
uh, and every department they have really is a socialist department now. It doesn't matter what they call themselves, what party you think they are. Uh, the massive bureaucracy, if you break it down, is all to do with mass socialism and organization of the masses from everything that you need to survive. Water, food, everything. And rationing will come. Because they always have, a say, as I say, a mass purge when they really see success coming. And they're heading towards um, starvation, basically. We'll have starvation in the future, I guarantee you it. And the big agri-food businesses, which are, there are five of them, I think there are only one, I think it's the same shareholders that own them all, are public-private with the governments. They will be the masters of the food via the United Nations who will distribute the food. That's in the charter, by the way. If you go into the Department of Agriculture at the UN, they will eventually distribute the food across the world to your new region, as they call it, and then it will work its way down to your local commissars and your communitarian regions or or local areas, and uh, they'll give you uh, your little handful of beans or whatever you happen to get. And I'm not kidding about that. that. That is going to come. That's going to come. They always have massive deaths, always, when they take over. And we're sitting here playing away. Things are fine. Your internet comes up fine, and your television switches on, and there's the same comedies and blah, blah, blah. Everything must be fine, and you don't know what's really happening. You don't care to know. Well, tough luck for those who don't care. I don't bother with them at all. Now, I also said a while ago that uh, at the Copenhagen meeting they had with the, the various environmental groups, this massive, massive communist organization or groupings under the United Nations of their green groups, and they are part of that structure. They are definitely part of that structure with the same organization as communism. They cannot deviate from the party line. They must parrot what the top guy says, regardless of how ridiculous it sounds even, or even how well it's contradicted by evidence. They will stick to that party line like an army, a parroting robotic army. And of course they do. Now, I said at the time too, that eventually all we tax for everything, all your expendable money that was used to buy Consumer goods will go into taxes, fees, fines, and all the rest of it. You'll pay for the privilege of living. So that the big boys at the top, of course, can live for the privilege of being stinking rich and happy and eating well. Exactly the same as the Soviet Union, by the way. And run by the same people, I should say, too. But here's an article here. The United Nations told climate funding is feasible. See, it doesn't matter if, if there are whole bogus theories are knocked down. As I said before, if God came down himself and said to his own people, he says, look, you can't do this, you're all wrong, um, then it wouldn't matter. They'd have to put a nuke out there and kill God or something because they, they will not backtrack on their, their, their agendas, which are chiseled in stone. So it says money raised from banks, taxes, and carbon permit auctions could match the $100 billion promised at Copenhagen, says report. This is for the UN. The UN chief ban, Kai Moon, jumped over the moon at a news conference in Bangkok. Uh, this is a report presented to the UN, uh, says it's challenging but feasible to raise $100 billion a year by 2020. For de- now, here's what they've always used in communists to help the de- poor, you see, to help the developing countries adapt to the effects of climate change. You know, changes in the weather, hot one day, cold the next. All the stuff we've always had down through the last few millennia, you know. And it says 17 finance ministers, leading economists and heads of state. Now, who are the heads of state? They aren't saying, eh? Say that it's challenging but feasible to raise $100 billion, that's £62 billion a year, 
by 2020 to allow poor countries to adapt to the effects of climate change and reduce emissions. And that's a big lie because they're already given their permits to allow the so-called emerging poor countries to burn coal and everything else with no filters, etc. And by the way, so can China. They signed that under the GATT Treaty. They'd be allowed to do it for 20, 40 years if need be. It says, if their findings contained in a major report handed to the UN Secretary General Bai Ki-moon are politically acceptable, the chances of a new global climate agreement are substantially increased. And money from banks, carbon taxes, carbon permit auctions, you better get this seriously, carbon permit auctions, because you're going to get your own personal one. And new transport taxes, that's your cars and vehicles, could raise the $100 billion promised to developing countries at the Copenhagen Summit. Last December, said the high-level advisory group, which was chaired by the Prime Ministers of Norway and Ethiopia, and included Lord Nicholas Stern. We know all about Mr. Stern there and who he actually really is, and what he's all for, and his drastic depopulation, by the way, if you don't know. He'd, he'd have fitted in well at the beginning of, this, of the Bolshevik Revolution, in fact. He's got the right stuff. It says the financier George Soros, well, who else but George Soros, UK Energy Secretary Chris Hune, and South African, Indian, and French politicians. The authors suggested public money could be raised from carbon taxes, $30 billion, possible aviation and shipping taxes. Well, you know it all comes down to you, the consumer at the bottom line, don't you? I hope you realize this. And as it says, the reduction of fossil fuel subsidies, and by increasing the flows of money from multinational development banks, such as the World Bank, uh, and it says private funding, of between $30 billion and $50 billion would come from carbon offset markets and a further $100 billion to $200 billion could be generated from private sector flows. A possible Tobin-type tax on all financial transactions was effectively ruled out by the high-level group, which argued that it was complicated to implement because it would require global agreement. Well, they've never had problems getting global agreement before, have they? You know why? It's because, you see, these guys took over all your governments 50 years ago. That's why. It says here, I do think it fits the bill. It's an agreed report, and that is significant. A big chunk of money, such as $50 billion, is pure as public money, said Stern. There was a lively discussion. You have some pretty strong people there. Many of us had direct responsibility for making public policy at a senior level. It's now for the political processes around the world to pick up. There's inertia in the international discussions. I hope this will help, he said. Says, he says he wants a higher price on carbon. Now, remember, all this carbon has already been arranged through Gore and Lord Rothschild through the, the bank in Switzerland, where all the, the, the world's carbon money, all this gas of nothing, this big abstract nothing, will get funneled through, and uh, and then it'll get redistributed to where it's supposed to go, UN and so on, after they take their big cut off the top. And we are allowing all this rubbish to happen. Yeah. It says, guaranteeing major new aid flows for developing countries has become a prerequisite for a new climate agreement, but many developing countries argue that the $100 billions on offer from rich countries falls far short of the funding necessary to help 130 poor countries, which face devastating climate change. Others want the money to be drawn wholly from public finance sources, which they say is more predictable. Public finance sources, eh? And what they really want is to fill their pockets in these countries, of course, because they have their own little dictators who all block the right group uh, in charge of these little up-and-coming countries, too. They're all in place. That's how it's done, folk. That's what organization happens to be. That's what they mean by it. Now, 
I mentioned this article before, but it's written a little differently here. And it's from Australia, the Herald Sun. And it says here, column, it says, Why you may soon need a warmest's permission to eat. That's one of these greeny warmest, you know, who, no matter if you're wearing a fur coat and you're freezing, it's still going to warm because they say you can't change it's written in stone. It says, So you think I exaggerate when I say global warming is just the latest cause of the closet totalitarian? Then pay closer attention to an experiment the warmest are about to inflict on the people of Norfolk Island. I mentioned that before. They're the test subjects to be given their cards. Everything they buy and so on will be tied up to see how much carbon they're using. And it's nonsense too. What they work out is you're buying a toy duck, say, and uh, how much energy it costs to make that toy duck is then transformed through some ridiculous mathematical equation into the carbon it would have cost to produce it. This is how they work out this, this, this big farce. This beautiful farce. It's beautiful. Only these guys could dream this. The same guys who dream up the bubbles in the stock market for, for things that don't even exist give, give you this. They, they run this. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about an experiment that's been put out there on a, an island of Australia, as far as you can see, uh, as a test run, you see, for the rest of the country and the rest of the world, of course, to do this all the time. I remember years ago they used, I think it was Aurelia in Ontario, for the cashless society for a while to see how it would work and how they could track and trace everything you purchase and buy, and that's really what it was for, yeah. Data, data, data collection. So that communists can run you properly. How many beans you got, how many so-and-sos you got, and so on. Anyway, get back to this article here uh, from uh, the Herald Sun. And it says here, uh, But be warned, uh, what's been trialed here with 390,000 of Gillard government money uh, may, if it works, be spread to the mainland, say the researchers, which means it's coming to you. This is the plan, and no, I'm not joking, is to put Norfolk Islanders on rations to fight global warming and obesity. Oh, let's tuck obesity in there too. Funded by the Australian Research Council and approved by the Socialist Left Science Minister Kim Carr, researchers from the Southern Cross University will give each volunteer on the island a carbon card. Every time they buy petrol or gasoline, electricity or an air flight, they will have carbon units deducted from the fixed allowance on their card. Most units will be lost each, uh, more units will be lost each time they buy fatty foods, see, there you go, or produced, uh, or flown in from a long way away, like, you know, more exotic foods, like, you know, meat or something. It says if at the end of that year or so they have carbon units left over, they can sell them. If they've blown their allocation, they must buy more. But each year the number of carbon units in this market will be cuts causing their prices to soar, and thus the price of extra food, power, and gasoline to rise because the idea is to cut greenhouse gases and make Norfolk Islanders trim taut and terrifically moral. So you must get moral tuition too. It's bad, bad eating meat and so on. Terrible, terrible meat eater, you carnivore, you. And all that kind of stuff, you see. And they've already trained the children about this stuff already. They've trained them beforehand. They always go for the children. Down through the ages, but the communists love this kind of technique, especially when they push it all through UNESCO and, and all your national teachers associations are, are federated with UNESCO. 
to make sure they'll get the same brainwashing for the children. Conservatives are well aware of human fallibility will immediately spot the obvious flaw in this latest scheme of the left to remake humanity. And that's what it is, remake humanity. They've always got this idea of, of rebuilding all the flaws and eradicating the flaws in humans, making us good little robots. It says this, what happens when people run out of the carbon rations and they can't afford the extra units? They need to buy more fuel, power or even food. This is precisely what I put this week to Gary Eager, head of the experiment and professor of lifestyle medicine and applied health promotion at the SCU. His response was astonishing and revealing because his basic question, which so so exposes the teeth of the the totalitarian, would have been one you'd think he'd have long wrestled with. After all, his personal carbon trading idea is not new, so much does it appeal to the finger-waggers and bullies infesting the global warming faith. As far back as 2006, Britain's then environmental minister, David Miliband, you know, another guy who came, had his family came running over to Britain just before World War II, and the rest of them were in Russia, proposed a similar scheme since endorsed by an environmental agency and House of Commons Environmental Audit Committee, which even insisted the government defy howls of protests from mere voters. So in other words, uh, they were not to be swayed by what the people want. It's a mandate, right? Widespread public acceptance, while desirable, should not be a precondition for a personal carbon trading scheme. That's what they said. This is communism, folks. Widespread public acceptance, while desirable, should not be a precondition for a personal carbon trading scheme. So they're going to get it whether they like it or not. The need to reduce emissions is simply too urgent, said MPs, members of parliament, saying, uh, before being driven off to their big dinner, you know. This is or as our own Professor Clive Hamilton, author and former Greens candidate, puts it, Global warming is so horrible that leaders must look to canvassing of emergency responses, such as suspension of democratic processes. Are you getting the picture here, folks? See, it's all been done already. It's all taken over. These characters were sent out from certain countries a long time ago to infiltrate, take over, and they're running your countries now. And both sides. It says, known as Eager's idea new in Australia, the farcical idea summit of Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's 1,000 best and brightest Australians also recommended it, which is a very good reason to be alert and alarmed. We have the technology now to create a carbon account for individuals, said the summit's report. And I said that at the very beginning, so you going down the individual. In between appeals for chair-bound workers to be given 30 minutes a day of exercise and stairs to climb at work. <laughs> You know, low carbon rationing plans have been kicked around for many years by the left. That key question of the conservative has still not been answered. As in, what if people don't want to live in your dream, and if they rebel or merely fail you? I let go of the transcript of my interview with Eager and MTR1377 this week to, to see how he answered. This is what the, this is how this guy answered it, this guy who came up with it. So he's asked this question, what happens to those people who overdraw their carbon emissions? Eager, he replies, in the first year you are just warned. Later, if you overspend, you've got to buy the units that are cashed in. Question, if you put this on the mainland and you were really strict about it, you really thought the world was warming very, very dangerously and someone exceeded the rations of these carbon units, one would presume that you would make food, for example, too expensive for them to buy. Eager says, yeah, that's right. So you've got money, for example, or if you've got, for example, a very fatty, unhealthy food that is imported from overseas, which takes a lot of carbon to develop, develop it, then the price would go up. I hope you're, for the harder thinking, I'll repeat this when I come back from this break, this break here.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're cutting through the matrix and we're talking about uh, the coming personal ration card and carbon card as well. You have a food ration card as well. Tie in your ration, your, your carbon rations, I've no doubt whatsoever. So this is Mr. Eager. It's the big professor fellow who's uh, introduced it, this far-left um, commie, really, in Australia. Uh, thinks it's wonderful, as it, as a good socialist should, you know. He says, um, he says here, um, so... If you put this on the mainland and you were really strict about it, you really thought the world was warming very, very dangerously, and someone exceeded their rations on these carbon units, one would presume that you would make food, for example, too expensive for them to buy, and eager, this totalitarian, sounds like, just like George Bernard Shaw, he says, that's right. So if you've got, for example, a very fatty, unhealthy food that is imported from overseas, now stop right there and think about that. Why should you have to import some uh, fatty food from overseas? Huh? What's happening in your local areas? What's happening? See, they're already at, at war with the farmers to eradicate your meat. They've told us that, the United Nations already. So I'll continue. It says, which takes a lot of carbon to develop it, then the price would go up. So let's price it out of existence. Then he's asked this question. Then me, he says, this is the interviewer. What happens to a very fat family, a very irresponsible fat family, and they've blown their carbon budget to the Schusenhausen, and you've made their food terribly expensive? What about the children? They go to breakfast and they've got one baked bean. Well, this is eager. Listen to the haughty answer here. In general, you'll find that in a very fat family, they're low-income earners. So those people would actually benefit from a scheme like this because the food that they buy, the energy that they use, they don't use as much energy as the rich anyway. There you go. There's a commie answer. And they was asked this, but what happens that the Federation cards, uh, carbon credits runs out and you made food too expensive for them to buy? What happens to them? Eager. Again, they get money back from doing the right thing. Like starving, I guess, is the right thing. Uh, this question, uh, no, but they've done the wrong thing. That's why they're fat, fat and poor. They've done the wrong thing. They run out of their carbon credits. What are you going to do to them then when the food's too expensive to buy? Eager. There are going to be personal cases like this that need to be worked out, and they need to be worked out in the tax system as well as in the carbon credit system. And you understand the massive bureaucracy that the socialists love running you? This is all going to cause? I'm sure it's already set up, actually. It says, eager founder of uh, Gutbusters undoubtedly means to do good. I don't know why, you know. Um, he has no wish to see children starve. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that if you went got in this guy's psyche, I'm sure of it. He says, yet I think we have here an insight into a key feeling of so many, so many grand schemes of the left to improve resistant humans or build for them someone else's idea of the perfect society. These schemes are so often are too perfect for the flawed humans they supposedly serve, but it's the humans who must adapt to the system, not the other way around, which is where some forces required, some democracy sacrificed. Remember, too, that communism in theory, uh, under its charter, if you read it all, uh, it's another utopia, quite wonderful, really. Uh, it's just it's not meant for humans to fit into and live in. That's the only flaw it has. But that doesn't matter to the control freaks. Anyway, it says, what a buzz for the closet totalitarian then to bully other people for their own good, in this case, to save the planet. When the cause is so just, which planet saver could let some contemptible fatty stand in their way, begging for the carbon credits to feed their chubby children? 
On the other hand, which planet saver would deny themselves any aid or comfort in this great struggle? Need an illustration of what I'm talking about? Eager himself plans to jet off to Mexico. He's off in his jet, you see, next month to boast to a United Nations Global Warming Conference how he persuaded Norfolk Islanders to ration just such joy flights for themselves. So he's allowed to travel, but they're, they're not going to travel. The, the test subjects are not traveling. He's, he's traveling, yeah. Just like the Soviet Union, yeah. He says, this is your future coming right at you, folks. Best utilize it's no longer a joke. And it is no longer a joke. This was decided years ago. Nothing happens by chance. They don't suddenly come out with this kind of stuff. They planned this 40, 50 years ago, including carbon taxes as a good con game. Global warming is a good con game to bring down society and the population size. And you'll all be trained and put, your, to put yourselves in the hands of the experts. And that's what it's all, all about. And the big bankers are part of it. Because their boys helped design it, you see. Now, anyone who uh, drops out of any cash money to this great, wonderful um, commissariat organization at the UN is immediately kind of blacklisted. So here's what happened to Canada here. Uh, Canada dropped to eighth place Thursday in a United Nations index that tries to measure a quality of life in countries around the world. You get it if you're always dishing cash out to all their projects like sterilizing women, the women abroad and stuff like that and abortions. It says that follows Canada's fourth place showing in the 2009 UN Human Development Index. Human Development Index. Sounds very socialistic, doesn't it? Norway tops this year's quality of life list as it has much of the last decade. Canada routinely led the list in the 1990s when the UN first started compiling the index of living standards, giving prime ministers bragging rights about the country. But development experts caution there's absolutely no statistical significance to shifts in the top 15 or 20 countries on the index, given the relative wealth. What wealth? It's all crashed. This year's eighth isn't comparable to last year's fourth and down to first, says David Morrison, Executive Secretary of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. You see, all the big bankers are in there. But the bottom line is, you see, Canada is cutting their foreign aid because we're broke, you see. And we're, we've got this really silly great war if I you see and protect the poppy fields over in Afghanistan. And that's costing a lot of cash already, you see. And they're, they're already bad enough with their health care, cutting and slashing, just like Britain. And so they've cut back on their, their overseas money to the UN, the big, the big uh, monster at the top. So they've been downgraded because of that. And that's what they do, these spiteful little sods. But who wants their approval anyway? Do we really need it? I don't think so. Now, there's a caller on the line. There's, there's Tom from Wisconsin. Are you there, Tom? Yeah, Alan, I'm here. Um, I called last night, and I'm becoming sort of a regular caller into your show. And it's because I think that you have a very focused and level-headed approach to understanding this control grid that's being built all around us. And my question to you last night was, uh, for me, it was more focused on what is going to keep the elite, once they have their utopia future, uh, you know, past 2050, um, with those that have been able to survive through the hell that they're planning for everybody, um, what is going to, what it will keep them from destroying each other? And, and the reason I ask that is, is because, you know, I suppose it's possible that their, their religious orders will keep things structured as they pass through into the new man. Um, 
But I'm also wondering, too, if, if perhaps, um, you know, as, as repeated through history where, where elites have battled each other for power and control, yeah. And I'm just wondering what what will what what in your opinion will stop them or or what system will prevent them from destroying each other? Part of it is because they have a centralized organizational control of them, all themselves. They're all in the same one big club, and it's much the same as the Soviet system, including the wealthy ones too, you know, the bankers and so on. And they do have a central high committee to keep them all in check. Now. It would what be like could the happen? Council of three, Council of six, Council of twelve. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And and what you'll find too is that just like the Soviet system, they might go through a little spat amongst themselves, like Stalin when he started killing each other off. You know, different ones who'd served them, etc. And even before Stalin, they were getting bumped off. They kept eradicating them out of the photographs. You'll notice if you look at the old communist photographs, there's always another one missing every year as they bumped each other off for the top positions. So even amongst the same group and even the same ethnic backgrounds, you even found that happened. However, they do believe, and it was Arthur C. Clarke that tipped me on to that in one of his books, his last book, and it was to do with 3001, after they've got rid of all the cattle and all the small ones at the bottom and have their utopia, and, um, and the elites come through. They'll actually be, as we monitor with the Internet for everything we do, they actually talked about using uh, particular uh, techniques which would measure their own brain patterns, brain thoughts, and prevent them from doing psychopathic things to each other. And I thought, I, I'll bet you that could be part of it. Now, they've already taken that into consideration with um, with with the, the the Department of Defense's report for the next 50 years or so, where they said that the the big mega cities that will survive after they've basically demolished all the rural areas, bunged the, the peasantry into the already overcrowded old cities, and that the elite will live in the top uh, new cities, these brand new super cities that have been building across the world. They might have the occasional war between the cities. They said using high-tech weaponry, but they can't use a lot because they're so well-armed they could destroy each other so easily, so they'll have to come to compromises. But I can see personally that they will um, try and go for this personal monitoring system that will stop the, the psychopaths from, from attack, attacking each other. They've talked about it. They've actually talked about it. Yeah. And, now, and, and then I have just one follow-up question. Um, Terminator 2, or Terminator 3, Rise of the, Rise of the Machines, kind of hints at this future where, where machines will be uh, sentient creatures that will run around, kind of like uh, with a with a Borg hive mentality of, you know, uh, the mission is is number one, like that's you know the protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then what I'm wondering is, will the elite allow themselves to merge with the machines, or? Will they keep themselves separate so that they can't be taken over by the machines, I guess is what I'm wondering, yeah. as, as like a system? Mm-hmm. They, they themselves, and I think it was Charles Galton Darwin, on behalf of the elite, who wrote The Next Million Years, and that's quite the boast of control, he said that uh, we are in the middle of making a more sophisticated form of slavery because we've always had a system of slavery in one form or another. He said, we shall put the masses into a form of slavery which they will not even know. Well, they're in slavery. And he says, but we the elite mustn't alter ourselves genetically or by using the hormones, which they will use on the masses, by the way. We know that's all through our food, it's all through your plastic and so on. He says, we shall not do this, he says, because we um, must retain our survival capabilities. 
but what we'll do to the masses, we'll destroy their survival capabilities. The governments will be making all their decisions for them. They won't need to make decisions. But we, the elite, must, uh, we're the captains of planet Earth, and we must retain our vital faculties for survival. So they themselves will remain untouched. They already have life extension and stuff, and they'll get greater life extension. But, um, but for themselves, they must not, the main part is the brain. They're, they don't want to alter their brain. They think they're the most superior part of evolution that the plants have ever seen, and therefore they have the right to rule us, but they mustn't change their brain. They have the psychopathic ability to be utterly ruthless when required, and they think that's a trait, a good trait to have, and they don't see psychopathy as we at the bottom see it at all. They see that as a natural proof of survival of the fittest in the Darwin theory. Wow. So, so really, so all the modifications and all the changes in the progress that they talk about, that they propagandize mm-hmm. us with. Just like you always get promised a utopia and super strength and part machine. And, well, yeah, they might give you part machine and all be part cyborg to make do a good job in the quarry, you know, so you can <laughs> lift stuff. But uh, technically, they also want to change you because they've already said that man uses very little of his brain capacity and they could, by putting a chip in you, and this is a big part of their, their program, they could actually use your brain to run other computers while you're mucking out a buyer somewhere in a farm and you wouldn't even know what you were doing. You, could, you would think you're walking on the moon having some wonderful escapade like James Bond. And um, they could literally use you without your knowledge and, uh, and make you think you're, you're having a, a wonderful time somewhere in a palace while, you're, as I say, you're actually mucking out a buyer. So, so literally, they could they could turn us into a, a, a Matrix, the movie setup type of reality where we plug in yeah. and they feed off of us and use us like like a battery. There's no doubt about it. Loyola, the Loyola Science University International Science um, Conference they had starting in the year 2000, and they've had one every year since, led off by Newt Gingrich. They had the top bioethicists and the top guys in bioengineering, bio. Uh, microbiology, and they said they do have a chip ready to go uh, that everyone will eventually get implanted with. Our only problem is getting the public to accept it. And that will be done, they said, through the culture industry, through movies, through entertainment, through, through making the children want it. They'd, they'd pay novelists, as they've always done, to write it into novels and so on, script writers in Hollywood, yada, 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 and make it an appealing thing to have. And it says, but once they have it, there'll be no such thing as individuality. This was their first meeting. And they said, um, think of it more like the beehive. You'll hear the, the sort of buzzing noises of thoughts of other people going back to the central computers, which will rule them and guide them. And, uh, and he said, uh, he said, think of it more like the beehive. But he said, there'll be no more individuality. In fact, he said, it'd be impossible to even try to perceive of yourself as a distinct, separate individual. Well, I can tell you this, Alan. They're gonna to have to kill me before they'll, before I'll let them modify me. So, mm-hmm. I just wanna, I, I thank you every single time, and I just wanna thank you again for for all that you do. Because for people like me, that gives me some hope. That not hope, but it gives me a way of working this out so that I can come through in the end and maybe have a family. Yeah, that is your right. That is your right. Never mind what they tell you. That is your right. You, you're born on this planet as a sovereign, independent being, not as a slave to anybody who has some uh, political philosophy or something like that. You have the right to choose what you want to do. 
And that's something that we have to start teaching these guys very quickly because, believe you me, they know what they want to do and they do believe they have the right to do it. Yeah. Well, they're not going to... They're not going to have their way with me. They're going to have. They're going to have to kill me first. So thank you again, yeah. Alan. You have a nice night. You too. And thanks for calling. And there's uh, Stan from St. Mary's. Are you there, Stan? Hi, Alan. Hi. How are you doing tonight? I'm hanging in here. A lot was snowing earlier. <laughs> yeah. How, how'd you make out with the tree falling down on the roof? Did you get oh, out? I just saw all that up and everything. But I was just hoping that this year I'd evolve quickly, like that article I read last night where they're blaming um, all these ridiculous theories for evolution uh, and, and young girls' puberty in regards to the amount of estrogen that's in all their, their food and baby food and everything else. And I thought, my God, maybe this year, maybe my, 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 my sense will tell me to evolve into a hairy monster and I'll be really warm all winter. But yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. You know. <laughs> but using the same theory I read last night, yeah, it should happen, you see. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was listening to your last caller and... Uh I, I hear this uh, uh, statement you made, uh, and uh, you know most people believe they're using 10% of their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this small amount and stuff. And I don't know if any you did any research on that or have any idea uh, where that came from. Yeah, it came out from early psychiatric meetings. Psychi- psychiatry was always socialistic from its beginning, Darwinistic because it tried to prove in, in the outset that all mental illnesses were due to hereditary factors and genes. And that helped to, to make it possible for Hitler to kill a lot of the mentally ill. But, but um, yeah, but um, they, they, they claimed at the time that most folk only used 10% of their brain, you know. And uh, there's more to it than that. But hold on and I'll come back with you after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we've got Stan on the line. Are you still there, Stan? I'm still here. Yeah, where, where did you want to take that? Was it to... Well, I, I just bring that up as a simple point, because I use this as sort of a technique to get to some people, to wake them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I realize it came from Sigmund Freud, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, that psychiatry, the Freudian, uh, and of course Freud was a fan of Darwinism, and you know it all works together, and... Yeah. I think it was an explanation between consciousness and subconsciousness. Freud mm-hmm. felt that uh, you know ten percent of uh, consciousness. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, the, the man who broke away from them and wrote his own books, uh, who worked with Freud, in fact, uh, eventually it said that uh, it was all nonsense. It's all nonsense. It is yeah, he fell out with Freud because Freud, being a good communist and it's a big part of the, the world, can you know idea of the agenda. Freud wanted all his followers to go out there and tell the world that everything that happened in human nature was due to nothing more than sexual drive. And this, and this guy said, "No way, that, that's crazy." And um, yeah, so, I refer to him as Sigmund Freud. Well, he was definitely a fraud. And if you follow his daughter and her personal, she became head of world psychiatry. And she treated uh, uh, women and, and their children. Every single, the ch- every single one of the children she treated committed suicide. That, that's correct. And, and some of them, even in Freud's own house, I believe. That's right. That's right. 
But, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people, uh, and I'm not into a wide array of people and stuff like that, and say even particularly Christians and stuff like that, and I'll ask them if they've heard of that, if they, mm-hmm. you know, use 10% of their brain and what they think of that, and to some they they agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask them, well, well, why would God put you on this planet to use 10% of your brain? Yeah. It doesn't particularly, you know, and, and it's it kind of it makes them start to think about things. Mm-hmm. So I look at things simplistically, and I wanted to make a comment on the two big movements that are going on in this world uh, with the, the green movement yeah. and and this movement of one world trade, shipping stuff over from China and around the world. doesn't yeah. particularly go together, does it? No, it doesn't. But you understand the history of the Green Movement, and it was uh, first uh, proposed by a, a great friend of Stalin, uh, who happened to be, I think, the grandfather of Madeleine Albright of America, uh, the one who starved Iraq and said it was a good thing to starve them to death. And um, she's a, it's an ongoing uh, agenda. It's an ongoing agenda that's very old. Don't, don't fall for this, the Soviet Union is gone. We're in the world Soviet now. Absolutely. And they created the Green Party to go forward uh, as a Green Party that would take care of nature, blend with the World Wildlife Fund and all the big bankers and so on, and get that, use that and environmental policies to reduce the population under any con guys they could dream up. Global warming is a good one, or, or the coming ice age was another one. They've tried all kinds of things. In the 60s, the same guys who are pushing global warming today were putting out books saying, we're going to freeze to death. And I've read the articles here that they wrote. So they're just following the party line, and this is the party line. It's a party we're talking about here. No, exactly. But, I mean, getting you to drive a a fuel-efficient car that is shipped over from Japan or China Mm -hmm. doesn't particularly make sense. No, it doesn't. But remember, too, under Agenda 21 of the United Nations, when you print your little community, which they're already doing in Britain, uh, there'll be essential vehicles on the road only, no Private vehicles will be allowed. That's in uh, the Millennium Project Agenda 21 for a sustainable development. You've got to read it. It's all in there. That's why you won't be importing them down the road. Yeah. But thanks for calling in. That's the music. I could go on and on about this, of course, but an hour is very short. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>